Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. Welcome to another week of Side Hustle Fridays. In prior weeks, I gave 30-day book challenges. I had two episodes where I gave up to six 30-day book challenges where you could write a book in 30 days. But now, how do you make a business out of that? How do you make potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars in a single year from writing books? Very few writers do that. One writer I know, Steve Scott, has done it. When I last spoke to him, he was making 60000 a month writing books. I spoke to him on the podcast years ago, but I dusted off that podcast at its Side Hustle Fridays today, which is basically how to write your book, how to find the right category so it'll sell the most, how to help the other parts of your business in this spoken wheel approach by writing and publishing a book, and how to potentially make $60,000 a month writing books. So without further ado, here's the author of dozens, maybe hundreds of books for all I know by this point, Steve Scott. Steve Scott, you're living the dream, and I'll describe that in a second, but welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me on again. This will be yeah. my second time. Yeah, You were on two and a half years ago, and I'll describe why you were on. But first, I want to say you're kind of like the most non-famous, famous person <laughs> because you, you're always, on, on Amazon, you're always the number one ranked business, business author in the world. Like, always. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say um, it's, pr- it's pretty interesting seeing my face above people that I respect and admire incredibly, like, like um like all the the great authors I've read, and it's kind of a head trip seeing all that. Seeing that, um, wow, I'm kind of you know outranking some of their books. So, but but you're always ranked number one for for many reasons. One is the sheer amount of books you produce. Uh, second is the number of uh, you know uh, the number of books each title sells. So you're making a good living from all these books, and you're so prolific. You keep producing these new books, but you kind of you started off uh, just a few years ago. You had never written a book before. And how many books have you written now since then? I would say uh, since I began it, which is um, actually it's coming up my anniversary. So February 2012, I've produced 68 books with a good amount of them being shorter books or translations or bundles. But um, 
I would say, original piece of content, or at least for my habit book lines, it's at least 30 books and that so far. So 68 books that are generating income. Like how, on a given month, how many of those titles generate at least a dollar? <laughs> I would say all of them generate at least a dollar, um, but there really is much the 80-20 rule, like the right. 20%, oh, sorry, yeah, 80% of your results are generated by 20% of your efforts. So there's just a few books that are just going off like gangbusters and everything else, it's they, they earn just a little bit of money every single month. So, so, so... So, A, a big question, which which we'll get to, uh, a big question is going to be how do you get to be so prolific? Like, And, and from, from what I've read of your books and from what I've read of your courses and blogs and, and so on, you have very specific techniques for being so prolific. And in a sense, people who say, oh, I can't produce that amount of books, you have an, an answer for them. And then the other thing is, I'm always amazed at how well your books do. Like, uh, not... And this is not saying anything about the quality for or against your books. It's just that your books consistently, um, you put out a new book and it'll consistently hit a, a good rank in Amazon, you know, for a good while and sell a good amount, I'm assuming, and then you put out the next book. So you have kind of techniques, I'm assuming, for getting your books to to sell well. And, you know, because I, I'll look at other books in the category, they might not sell as well, but yours like just consistently hit number one in all of your categories. And, you know, like... Uh, again, just uh, you don't have to answer specifics if you want, but like last month, how much did you make from books? Uh, 52,000, uh, which is actually last month, last month, so, which is weird because I think the last time we talked, it was right around there, but I would say leading up to it, there was definitely some peaks and valleys, so it was kind of up and down. But last month has been probably my best month in the, almost three years now. Wow, wow. so so. Um, I think you, ha you had a new book out from novice <laughs> to expert. Um, so you tend to write a lot of kind of business self-help type yeah. books on, about habits and, and learning and so on and, and decluttering. Uh, I think a bestseller for a long time was your habit stacking book, which what, what's the exact title of that one? Habit stacking 97 small life changes that take five minutes or less. And that one <laughs> was consistently it was a small book and it was consistently like the number one business book it was like always in the top you know let's say 300 of all books on amazon uh and and i think it i mean it went as high as the top 10 several times right uh yeah i think it did but um as you probably know with amazon they do special promotions sometimes so they actually uh put it in i forgot what program it was. i think it's on the prime readership so it was on there for a couple months, and it was just more of just people picking up the copies and reading it for free than actual uh, generating income. So it had a really high ranking. But they uh, paid you, though. Uh, they pay you in advance for a that little bit. a little bit, right? Yeah, it wasn't too much. But it was, it was just more just about exposure. But um, I'm actually excited because I'm rewriting a sequel to that, and I'm, hope, I'm hoping to come out with that in March, early March. So that's, that's the one I'm like, all right, I sort of got it right the first time, but I want to make sure that the second time I really just make as strong of a book as possible and and do an actual proper launch and try to, to try to make it as big a success as I guess I possibly can. Okay, but okay, when you say proper launch, well, we're going to have to unpack that a little <laughs> bit because clearly you're doing something right with your launching. I mean, really, what what my goal is here is I sort of feel like you're living the dream life. Like you, um, uh, you, you you can essentially stay at home, write these books. You're very prolific, but you have techniques for for being prolific. And and like I said, you have techniques for kind of uh, marketing these books. And you're making a living writing. You don't have a boss necessarily. <laughs> nope. And and you diversify the income across many titles, and you'll keep on writing. So this could potentially be a source of 
growing income for you for the rest of your life doing exactly what you love doing. Exactly. Uh, yeah, that is the plan. Like, um, are you a happy guy when you wake up in the morning? Actually, I am. Um, well, actually, since we last talked, I got married. Actually, my son was born in April. Oh, my gosh. I didn't even know. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Are you going to write a book about parenting? <laughs> Not yet. I've actually been asked, uh, what about parenting habits? But, um, yeah, my mornings I just spend in the morning. I, I do a little bit of, like, just kind of, like, I guess what uh, Carl Newport would call shallow work. So I'll spend the morning just answering emails or doing just uh, book marketing campaigns. And in the afternoon, once I stop uh, taking care of them, I drop them off at a daycare. And I just spent about four or five hours just like really just hyper focused on just the writing and stuff. And that's so interesting. Like I tend to write in the morning because I feel that's when mm -hmm. I'm most creative. Me too. So I, I feel like the morning is for making and the afternoon is for managing. So totally that's agree. when I do all the emails and marketing yeah. and things like that. Well, I totally agree, but it's just it's just reality. You I have take life care, circumstance. I have I have to take over morning. But if I had it my way, I would definitely be um, just writing first thing in the morning because I totally agree. It's First thing in the morning, before you open email, before you look at Facebook, you sit down and you write 30 to 60 minutes and just don't do anything else. And I, I set a timer. Actually, uh, you mentioned before about the habits. You kind of want me to go into a little bit about like how to how to actually get this done on a daily basis? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Because cool. you, you, it seems like you've written, I don't know how many books about habits, but quite a few books about basic habits. And again, you're up against some hardcore books like The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, who's also been a, a guest on this podcast, and and many other great books about uh habits, but you're just crushing it in the habits category. Um, yeah. So it's, for me, it's just, I understand how my mind works and what my natural lazy kind of procrastination tendencies are. So I know if I leave writing to the end of the day, it might not be as good or I might not get to it or it might not do the amount that I really want to. So I used to write first thing in the morning. Now I have to do it first part of the afternoon, but it really is a disciplined, um, technique where I sit down. I, I'm a firm believer in a Pomodoro technique. So I just set my timer for 25 minutes and it really is hyper-focused 25 minutes. If I stop to look at something or, or you know, look outside to, to check out the squirrels, I have to stop the timer and just start over. So I kind of punish myself for not following through with that. And is there a science behind that? Like, are there, is it shown like in 25 minute focused spurts and then I think it's like a five minute break. Mm -hmm. Is there, is there research that shows that's the best way to be productive? I've looked at the research, and I, th I think it's an individual basis. Like, I know that for me, once I start hitting 30 to 40 minutes, I really start losing my focus, where some people are able to concentrate for a full 40 to 50 minutes. It really is on— But I guess, somewhere around there, and then somewhere. you need to, like, take—you need to walk around or— Yep. I, I actually try to get 250, so it's another habit. I try to stand up, get 250 steps, walk around my house, just get a little bit away from the computer, and then sit back down. Uh, write for another 25 minutes. And I try to follow that at least three, four times uh, during a writing block. And actually, I'm, I'm anal retentive enough where I, I track this all in an Excel spreadsheet and I track the location, uh, what I'm working on, what draft it is. And with, with the, the calculation in the Excel spreadsheet, it actually shows me like my average word count per session at that location. And at the end of the day, this kind of gives me a rough idea of where I'm most productive, when I'm most productive, and how I can kind of get in the zone. That's really funny. Like, you know, I used to do something like that for investing. So I decided um, I was writing software to kind of um, look at patterns in stocks going up and down and what, what the best days were to trade certain stocks. Nice. So I decided to um, track my own P&L, like how much money I was making on every day as if I were a stock. And so then I could know whether to bet against myself or not. So for instance, let's say I always lost money on a Friday or let's say I always lost money on the first day of the month. I would have to 
you know, maybe not trade those days. Like it would give me extra information when, and it's one of the very few times I've done the quantified self thing, but it sounds yeah. like it's useful for you. Like what, what's the best location for you to work in? Uh, for me, it is Starbucks in the afternoon in Midland Park. That, to be very hyper-specific, it's just one particular Starbucks location, and I've vetted maybe 15 of them in Bergen County. And for just for some reason, that's the one place where I just seem to get in the zone. And unfortunately, I can't do it in the morning like I used to, but I find that just 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock at that specific location, I get the highest amount of words done. And I, I want to get down into the, into the nitty-gritty of how you pick a category, how you decide what the book's going mm-hmm. to be, but it strikes me that you're, you're, you write, obviously you're putting out a book every couple of weeks, it seems, or every month, or whatever the rate is. It's a very fast rate. So you're probably writing many words a session, let's say between two and 5,000 words a session, uh, I'm guessing. Actually, it's a lot less than that. Um, really? I would say my production now is it's it's around the two-month mark. I've actually tried to really slow down the production schedule, but try to make each book a little bit better than the previous one. And also, I'm starting to build a um, website and also an email sequence for each book. So, Oh, and that's the other thing you've been doing since the last time we've spoken. It seems like your business has expanded. So you're not just depending on um, income from just these books. You now have kind of a community around what you're doing and on the concept of self-publishing. So you have courses on self-publishing and so on. So it seems like you're kind of like branching out, you're diversifying your different revenue streams. Um, kind of, sort of. I tried that and now I'm actually decided to uh, completely take a step back from the teaching stuff. Like this is probably one of the, one of the last uh, interviews I'm going to do or conversations I'm going to have well, I'm glad about how on. to uh, self-publishing. Because <laughs> Just because I find that the building a business around books is just, it's more profitable. I'm a lot less stressed if I only have to worry about one business instead of two businesses. And and honestly, I'm trying to emulate what you're doing. You have a fantastic audience. You have a super loyal following. And I like how on Facebook you, you post a little bit of the content you're, you're probably going to put into a book. People respond to it. So it seems like you're almost vetting a certain idea. I'm, gonna tr- I'm trying to do the same thing where I have an audience and I'm just continuously talking to them, promoting or publishing little pieces of content and just see how they respond to that. And that's probably what I'm going to try to do moving forward with my books is just test the idea first instead of just going out writing um, 20, 30,000 words on it and then realizing that the idea doesn't sell as well as I thought it would. So like, for instance, one way, um, like let's take that habit stacking, like 90, 97 habits to, what I forget the subtitle. The small life changes. I, yeah, I forget 90, myself sometimes. 97 small life changes. You could potentially just write a list of the 97 and post it on Facebook and see what the engagement is like versus other posts. And if it's it's very high, then you could just flesh out those 97 into chapters, and now you have a book. Exactly. And I, I think there, there's something to be said about trying an idea, uh, getting feedback from an audience first, seeing people actually be interested in the idea before you go out and try to write it. And uh, some of my biggest missteps in my business, like I did write one book that was complete failure. What was the book? Uh, the Accountability Manifesto. And I was like, oh, it's about accountability. It's about like you know checking in with other people, making sure that you're you're doing well with what you need to do well with. But I think the word accountability has a negative connotation where yeah, it just, like it's more like holding a business accountable. Yeah. And I don't think people really kind of got the message. And I try to change it to the manif- the accountability manifest. No, it, uh, it was, oh, crowdsource your success. I tried to change it to have a little bit more benefit driven, but or it didn't that really must matter. That better though, crowdsource your success. It was, no. a fl- it was a flop both ways and it just completely tanked. And I think I just made my money back on that one. Uh, about a month or so ago, so there just there were some serious missteps. And well, what do you mean you made your money back? Like, and and again, I want to kind of go through the whole process. But what are your expenses when you make make a book? It would, it's usually now in the two to three grand range. So that you could tell that book did, did not do well at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's for um, 
first line editing, uh, second line editing, um, formatting for both print and ebook, the and the audiobook version. And I think that's it. I think it's like one last proofread. So I try to spend more time making sure the content's uh, as good as it can possibly be. And also there's a little bit pro, pro, uh, post-production costs. And also if you throw in advertising, sometimes that can that can add up to a thousand or so for like the, the, the actual launch of the book. I, I do want to ask you about advertising because I'm very interested in that. But um, so, so it seems like a, a really, and you've written about this, a really important strategy is to to outline. And I find for myself, if I outline versus, if I don't outline, sometimes I tell a better story. But if I do outline, I can write many more words around many more different concepts in one session. Uh, so do you find do you find that? I'm just trying to figure out your basic oh, uh, disciplines. 100%. So um, whenever I have a book idea, um, I kind of think about a book idea and then it's usually almost a month or two months till I actually get started with writing it. But during that time, I'm reading about the topic. I'm trying to learn as much as I can in addition to what I already know. I put all that in just this, this giant like sheets of paper. It usually comes out to be about 20, 30 handwritten sheets of paper about the topic. Wow. Like, so, and a lot of that is like outline driven? Kind of outline driven. It's more like what I call just a brain dump. Just completely bleh, just put it on paper as much as possible. Then take the handwritten notes, put it into index cards. And actually like I have a, usually a stack of like I would say 100 to 200 index cards. And that's the actual order of the book. And I'm just constantly sorting it, ripping up index cards, trying to put it in some, some like you described, some sort of step-by-step uh, uh, -step process that actually follows a narrative flow. And then from there, I actually just type out what's on the index cards into an outline, and then the outline becomes the basis for my rough draft. And even from there, I'm constantly trying to edit and tweak. And I'm also trying to add in like different passes. So after the first draft, I actually sit down and structurally edit and look at, all right, maybe this section should belong there. So I, instead of just going and starting with the second draft, now I take a couple day pause and just look at what I have and try to restructure it there. But you're always working on like a couple different books at a time so you can kind of go mm -hmm. from one project to the other. Whenever you feel blocked on one project, you kind of go to another one. So so it's interesting like um, if you when you make these index cards, let's say you make 200 index cards, one thing I learned from you by looking at, at your books and the success of those books is you've sort of help change the definition of what a book is because typically like if you if you publish a book with like a major publisher they're going to say okay deliver us 60,000 words in you know a year um but you've flipped that completely like you put out most of your books were between 15 and 25,000 words right would you say um it's gotten more now to 20 to 30 but same Still, thing it's just pretty short books yes pretty short books but you'll price them i mean you you price them the same as let's say I'll price mine and I'll have you know I probably make my books too big, and uh, and your books are all you know best uh, Amazon bestsellers. So it's sort of like th this idea that uh, you know catering to the fact that people have so many things competing for their attention. Let's give them a book that satisfies you know the fact that there's a lot more competition for their attention. Here's a smaller book. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, and I find I do enjoy the like the good uh, a really lengthy book, and I know you interviewed him, um, Tim Ferriss specifically. His Tools of Titan, I love it. It's a nice long. That's a brilliant book. Meaty book. Yeah, it's a great book. But also, there's some books. Um, like there's a, an author, Monica Leonel. Uh, she wrote How to Dictate Your Book, and I just want to know how do I dictate my book? I don't need sixty thousand words. I know I need to know how to get started, how to get better at it, and what tools need. need to right. Buy. So, so she can make a book like that and basically sell it for ninety nine cents. Why wouldn't someone pay? less than a dollar to figure out everything you need to know to dictate your book so you could publish a book. And what a, what a great idea. How, how many words is that? I think she it was on the longer side. I, I think she priced at $2.99 or $3.99, and it was in the, I would say, 20,000-word range. It was, it was right to the point. She didn't, and what I loved 
is she didn't waste her time. And I try to emulate the same thing where just get to the point, like make sure you're providing as good content as possible and then get out. You don't need the uh, the 23,000 word preamble about how this is important. You kind of just explain a little bit about why it's important and just right. make every chapter. You, you make every chapter, and I, I'm sorry I interrupted just there. No, no I, I, you make every chapter as actionable as possible. I try to. Um, I I feel the one thing I'm lacking is good personal stories, which you do beautifully. I, I don't include enough of me in the books. So that's I'm trying to make that change, but also in the back of my mind, I also think, well, a few personal stories here and there are good, but I don't want to get into the, the which I made a mistake in the previous years, where I get into the routine where I'm writing these 35, 40,000 word books that don't quite go anywhere. I want to make sure that they're just kind of focused on what people are buying the book. Uh, right, right. Particularly if you're like focusing on a category like, you know, declutter your life or habits or, you know, success rules or whatever whatever it is you're you're writing about. Or your most recent one is from novice to expert, which is kind of a, a, a pathway to, to learning and, mm -hmm. you know, bring stuff from deliberate practice and other learning techniques and uh uh, uh that's that's doing pretty well i think i forgot what that's ranked at right now uh it this is a little bit of an asterisk it's ranked last time i checked number 33 overall but um when you and i Which were talking incredible. about yeah it, it's doing pretty well but there was also like a random amazon promotion happened yesterday or was it yet? Uh, yeah yesterday it happened uh, the last day of the month so that doesn't normally happen to me. So I think before that, it was ranked at 1,100 overall, which is still, I was, I'll still take it. It was still doing pretty well. And then, yeah, particularly if that's one among 60 titles, you know, you're pulling revenue. Uh, like, like if it's ranked 1,000, and I know we're going all over the place, but if it's ranked 1,000 on Amazon, how many copies a month is that, would you say? It was, it was around 80 to 100 a day. So I would say maybe 2,500 to 1,000. 2,500 to 3,000 copies a month. And, and just to get technical on Amazon, if you price something at, at $2.99 uh, and it's self-published, you're essentially making $2.10 per copy sold. Yeah, it's roughly that. I think they charge me a little bit of download fee because I have a few pictures in there, but it, it is in the, the $2 range. So, so okay, let's say uh, I'm sitting at home and I'm listening to this and I'm like, man, that sounds great. Uh how do I start off? How do I, I've never written a book. How do I pick a topic? You have a lot of interesting thoughts on that. Like, how do you go, how should someone go about picking a topic? Okay. Um, well, I would say first thing before anything else, do you understand this is a long-term business? And um, I feel I haven't said that message enough to people, but... No, I want to just it, get rich quick here. It's not. It's <laughs> the exact opposite, get, get rich quick. But it is, if you focus on it, it, it is a profitable business model. But I would say from the first um, kind of go around, you want to make sure that you're talking about um, what you're interested in. So I, in the, some of the courses that I've taught, we call it the, the three P's of self-publishing. So there's passion, um, personal interest, sorry, passion, personal experience, and profitability. So you want to, if you picture in your mind a Venn diagram, so you want to make sure that the topic is going to make money, but you also want to make sure that you're genuinely interested in the topic or you at least have the desire to learn more about the topic where you can write a pretty good book about it and also some personal experience. So you can't just go out and write about Forex trading if you've never done it before. I, I, I wouldn't recommend doing that because you could give disastrous advice that could cause someone to go bankrupt. So you definitely want to make sure you have something in the middle of all three. How do you know um, a topic's going to be profitable? Uh, I use what I call like the, the rule 30,000. So you go on to Amazon, you just look at the bestsellers ranking of every book, make sure you're searching by the Kindle store. And every single book has what they call an Amazon or BSR, Amazon bestsellers ranking. So just scroll down to the product details page and just find a ranking for a book. And if you could find a couple books that are under 30,000 or less, for me, that's just a good starting point of, all right, this is a good book idea. I know it's going to sell. And that's around five to 10 copies a day. So, so, so let's just 
understand that a little more. So let's say I'm interested in uh, golf or whatever. Uh, let's just pick golf randomly. Oh. I'll go to the golf category and maybe golf will have subcategories. I don't know, like teaching golf, uh, biographies of golf professionals, um, be, you know, best golf courses in the world. And maybe there's a bunch of categories under golf, golf fiction. And then I'll look at each category and I'll see, well, which category has a number of books that are ranked below 30,000, meaning they sell more. And then that shows me there are definitely buyers in this category. Yeah, absolutely. And I would go as uh, granular as possible and how to improve your swing. You're going to see in a couple of seconds how I know nothing about golf. So I'm going to try to roll with this though, but uh, how to improve your swing, how to putt better, I guess. Uh, so you can do a whole book. Uh, you would divide it up as granular as possible, and you would definitely. write a whole book on how to putt better. How to putt better. That would, that would be one book. So and, let's so let's even take that further. So let's say um, in the category of putting, we've seen that there's uh, several books that are below 30,000. So it means that there's, there's buyers. Um, and let's say you have some personal stories about golfing and how you improved your own, you know, putt swing. Would you then go and like um, interview a bunch of, of people or how would you then do your research? Uh, that that's tricky. I, I'm a firm believer you should have some ex- expertise in it, or at least a willingness to go out and interview. So, the one website that I like to use if I really just don't know a lot, and it's just usually just one small section of, of of a book. I don't try to go out and write a book I know nothing about. Right. Um, but I would go to help a reporter out, and that's just a website that kind of aggregates journalists and people that are um, willing to kind of be knowledge experts, and just submit something saying, "Hey, I'm writing a book about how to improve your putt." Uh, would you would you mind uh, if I interviewed you? And you'll you'll get ten ten to twenty to thirty people to respond back. They'll say I'm a I'm such and such um, credentials with golf. Again, this is I know nothing about golf. Uh, I have such and such credentials with golf. I, I can be available for a thirty minute interview, or you can just actually leave questions and help report around. People will just respond back to them, and from there maybe you just check their credentials, and then you set up a time and you can interview these people. That that would probably be my approach if I really just knew nothing and I wanted to find people who know a good amount or you can just find people who have good uh, content platforms, good blogs, podcasts, that sort of thing, and maybe ask to borrow a little bit of their time. Now, obviously, there has to be some sort of exchange of like what's in it for them. So maybe you could offer to promote their website. But there are knowledge experts out there. If you really just know nothing about a subject, you can find people who you can interview it, and include in the book. It strikes me also that once you kind of um, – like you, you've kind of – uh, done a lot of books, obviously in the habits category. We've spoken about that, but it seems like it's easy now to uh, combine popular categories. So, for instance, you can you you've done these ninety seven habits for success. Uh, you could you could you know, and we all we also know another category that might be popular is let's say Donald Trump. Like he dominates <laughs> the news cycle. Obviously, you could say you could almost make a half joking, half serious book like you know the twenty seven habits of Donald Trump or so, you know, something like that. Would would you ever do something where you combine uh, a, a sort of news cycle worthy idea with your basic content? I like the idea. Um, I also just kind of intuitively know the Amazon marketplace. I think something like that, you're going to get a lot of negative reviews. So I would say anything that's really polarizing. I'm, I'm trying to think something like Donald Trump is extremely polarizing. But, but a lot of negative reviews might be good, right? Like sometimes I, the ones if if a book has a lot of one star reviews and five star reviews, those are often the the best selling. And I'm thinking like Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh yeah, you're you're absolutely right about that. Me personally, I would probably avoid it, but I'm not saying it's a bad idea. It's just something that I know that there's a certain type of audience, and they'll. Like, you're right, there'll be completely rabid readers who will absolutely love it, and then there'll be the liberals who will rip it apart, and that'll make the the rabid conservatives more happy. So I can see how that would work just for me. 
something that that's news cycle. It doesn't seem like it's last. It would last as long as possible. Mm-hmm. And I, I try to find what it, what they call evergreen topics, topics that. I'll write in 2012, and it still has a chance of doing well in 2017. So that, that's my personal preference. I don't think what you said is a bad idea. It's just I would personally avoid it just for so, a number of reasons. So, so let's make it more evergreen. How about the 40 habits of the 40 richest people in the world? So the Definitely. 40 habits of billionaires. That's kind of like uh, Think and Grow Rich, and that's, that's a perfect example of um, something that was written many, many years ago and is still doing well because it is very evergreen. They just, he just did interviews with a bunch of the, the most rip, um, rich people the richest people at the time and, and created a pretty good book from that. So, you know, like, here's another one. I, I've written a lot recently about um, minimalism. And so these have all been popular posts. Uh, you know, the Marie Kondo's book, The Magic Art of Tidying Up, is a very successful book on on minimalism, sold 2 million copies in Japan, uh, sold a lot here. Uh, the, the Minimalists had a documentary on, on Netflix. Oh, I love that one, yeah. So, so what about something like, um, you know, the the... Again, the the forty top habits of minimalists, or something like that. I would say, yeah, that's definitely a slam dunk. And, and what I've also learned is, um, this might be creating my own competition. But you put the word habits and routines in any title, it'll probably sell because it's just something that that people tend to gravitate towards because they have the mindset. Well, even if I have, even if I develop one or two of those, it's still one or two of those habits. It's definitely a win for me. So I. I I do find that those type of books will absolutely sell really well. So we've probably identified like four or five books here, uh, like the, like the Thirty Habits of Jedi Masters or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, if only Disney wouldn't sue me over that one. But well, I wonder if Disney is uh, can they uh, like you're allowed to say the word Jedi in a in a book? <laughs> I think so, but they have a lot. They have billions of dollars. I don't want to find out the hard way that right. I'm uh, you know using their trademark thing. So. I'm pretty sure you could do parodies. Parody is is completely legal. You could do um, just a riff off of a book and make fun of it. But I'm not too sure where the line is. And I, right. frankly, I don't. I don't want that. So you kind play of it headache. safe. I I play everything very very vanilla safe as possible. So so you find a topic using this technique, then you get as granular as possible, and you can make for every, as long as it satisfies that thirty thousand rule, uh, you can write a book uh, on each granular topic. Definitely and. One, the one application of the 30,000 rule is you don't necessarily have to go out and try to find a specific topic that's under 30,000. As long as you know that there's a market, I used a golf example before, even if I didn't see a couple of um, books that had uh, how to putt better under 30,000, I would still probably go out and try to, to write that book if I saw that there was just a bunch of general golf books under that ranking. And just I, off the top of my head, I know golf is just a massive topic and people absolutely love it. But so I would say look more at the market instead of the individual book topics and try to uh, be as creative and unique with the individual book, book topics as possible. Okay, so so like let's say, for instance, golf is a super popular category, uh, but there's no books on putting. That would be one thing that was interesting to you. E- even It wouldn't scare you off that there were no books on putting because you know anything with golf might be popular. Absolutely. Well, what other, and again, neither you or I know anything about golf probably, but like what's some other golf topics that would come to you right away? How to slice, how to how to reduce your slice, I guess. That's the thing where you, you I'm terrible at this, where the, the ball goes way to the right or left, how to, how to eliminate your slice or how to take a couple strokes off your overall game. Um, maybe the best, like you mentioned before, the best golf course is the, the, the 10 best golf, that, I guess that's more of a BuzzFeed type of article, something about the best, how to find the best golf course, or um, that's a limit of my golf knowledge.
Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I I lived in over a hundred or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period. And I loved it. I love, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldicher, would you like to apply to be VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything 
than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use Hims. Hims, H I M S, Hims is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I definitely got to use Hims from now Not on. Not that you need it. You're you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You're getting there. You might you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the Hims app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? Hymns.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. There's this guy who's um, trying to do the 10,000 hours in golf. He started off with zero ability in golf. Really? And he's like on hour number 5,000 now. And he's got, he's almost like, not quite, but almost professional level. So he's trying to put in the full 10,000 hours. And it'd be interesting to see, like, again, what his habits are, how he's doing the so-called deliberate practice Mm -hmm. of the 10,000 hours and just basically itemize those and make a, a book out of it. That's incredible. Is that a blog or is that a... I don't... I, I You know who told me about this was uh, uh, Stephen Dubner who wrote Freakonomics and he's oh. really into golf and he mentioned this to me because we, we, were, we were speaking on another podcast about learning. So. I love that because it, it takes an idea and actually puts it into real-world practice and you, you could see how he went from pretty much knowing nothing to, to, be, to mastering it. Well, and a couple of people have done it. Like Josh Foer um, did that with uh, Moonwalking with Einstein where he did essentially 10,000 hours to become the U.S. memory champion from scratch. Uh, he was a reporter covering it, and then he said, oh, I'm going to do it. And he enlisted the help of Anders Ericsson, who's the, the expert oh, yeah. on the 10,000-hour rule, and wrote this book, and it was a New York Times bestseller. It's an interesting, interesting book. And uh, but, but you're right. Those kind of habits, routines, learning, all of these things tend to, to be successful. What are other categories that, that you've thought about? Uh, the categories of like being able to write in? Yeah, that you think would be profitable. I would say the the finance category does pretty well, um, but you really you have to be at the top of your game. You can't just write just a personal finance. Um, like you said, the minimalism category that does pretty well. Um, off, the, off the top of my head, I'm trying. I'm struggling to come up with um, business ones. Definitely do well. Social skills. I, I know um, my friend Patrick King. He he does really well. Oh with yeah, social I skills. see his books always advertised. Um, like he just wrote one, "The Art of the Witty Banter." Yeah. So so, and he's written some others like about social confidence and so on. How, how many has he written? Because he kind of follows your formula a little bit. He does, but there's so many things he does way better than I do. Like if you ever read his uh, product descriptions, he just he understands copywriting immensely. He just does a really in, incredible job with actually 
presenting the book and why you need to, to um, buy it. So if you ever need to study good copyright for Amazon, just check out Patrick King's books. But uh, I think he's in the 20 to 30 book range at this point. He's he's way more pro- prolific than I am. He's a former lawyer, so I know he just he just has a lot of experience with writing a lot in a short amount of time. So, so he churns them out, and he's would you say he's now primarily making a living from his books? Oh, absolutely. Like he I, I know 100%. As a lawyer? He, uh, I know he's been self uh, self sustaining with his, just his books in the last couple of years. And I th- think he does do coaching, but I feel he almost uses coaching as a way to, to information gather and to get ideas for his books. So it's more of a impromptu, a little bit on the side. And he kind of he he told me once that he almost uses the words that people tell him about the the struggles that they're going through, and uses it in their in his copy and also the next ideas for his books. So well, it's good storytelling exactly. uh, to get all the all the different uh, testimonials and so on. So, so okay. There's finding kind of uh, the the profitable I, uh, topic idea that you're also passionate about, and you have some personal experience with. It's the three P's you talked about, and then there's kind of uh, this month or two period where you you do a brain dump and kind of list and then outline as much research as possible. Then there's the writing about it, and then there's a lot of blogs out there uh, about how the the technical how tos of self publishing, um, so people can can go to those and they can even go to your site and then you have some checklists. But what do you do then? Like, how do you then make something have as much chance as possible of being a bestseller? Because obviously you put your all into each book. Yeah, definitely. It It's um, it's one of those answers that's hard to answer because it really is the rich get richer in a way. Like, the, the bigger the platform you have, the better you're going to do. And that's just the reality of it. I would say, though— But you, you started off with zero platform. I did. I, well, I started off with a little bit of following in the internet marketing space. I wrote some internet marketing specific books just because I was an affiliate marketer for many years before I got into self-publishing. What does affiliate marketer mean? Uh, that's um, if you uh, if you have a website like a blog or a podcast and you promote a product, and every um, all these websites want you to promote their product in exchange, they'll give you a sales commission. So it's almost like being an online sales commission. So uh, you promote the product Blinkist. I use Blinkist all the time, and if someone goes and buys it, you get. Uh, 25% of whatever the cut was. So it, really the the percentage really varies on each individual program. But what a lot of uh, business models that are out there, they just have these uh, giant websites that have a lot of content and they promote specific products. And if people click on a link and buy a product through that, they get a sales commission. So people, just like with self-publishing, people are able to make a full-time income through uh, affiliate marketing. So, so let me ask you a question. Here's an idea for you. Why don't you write... Um uh, the 25 best drones of 2017. <laughs> and, you know, those are expensive, high-priced items on Amazon. And you get, uh, you know, so you combine your book skills with your affiliate skills. Uh, there's a small wrinkle to that. Um, Amazon specifically says you can't put affiliate links in books, PDFs, uh. and what what's the other one? It's book PDFs, oh, and emails. So it, they're really making sure that you don't go out and do that. An idea, though, is you could have a, a good book, but then also direct people back to your blog and also have a um, affiliate links on your blog. And that's actually, I do a little bit of that with that with my books. If I like a certain product, I'll say, well, here's a review of a few of my top choices. Go send them back to my blog. And then I do have an affiliate links on my blogs for certain products. But the percentages on Amazon, they're they're not great. They're in the 8% of whatever the sales price is. And it's a, but it's also a 24-hour cookie for anything that people buy. So if someone buys a journal on your website, and it goes out and buys a HD flat screen TV. You also get the sales commission on that. So that's, it's it's not a great percentage, but also the fact that you're promoting something on Amazon. Yeah, it's massive. So so okay. So now um, you're, you you've launched the book. Uh, I, I you know 
and I know I'm. Um, uh, let's say let's say someone it's their first book, but their plan is oh I'm gonna fi- I'm gonna follow Steve Scott's success mm-hmm. and I'm gonna write five books, ten books, twenty books. What what do I start doing with the very first book to give it a, as big a chance as possible for success? Okay, definitely. The first thing you absolutely need to do, and it's going to be more writing or more product creation, is you want to create what's called a lead magnet. And other people call it readers ma- reader magnets. Um, I just call it a lead magnet just because that's the way I was taught. It's just a free piece of content that you give out to your readers in the front of your book and also the back of your book. And if you can get away with it inside the middle of your book, and the idea of this free piece of content is it adds value to whatever they're reading. So if it's a they're reading a book on habits, this is maybe a, a habit checklist or a quick video or something else. That, so it's something that's on your website that they have to sign up for. Exactly. And they sign up to your email list. And then from there, you, you almost want to build what they call nurturing sequence where you send them a few emails, you introduce yourself as an author, uh, you provide more value. And the idea here is they just go from random reader into someone who is a loyal following. And I think you do this uh, great, James. You have just so many people that are just rabid followers of you. And that's the idea there is you want to turn your readers into people that will become one of your 1,000 true fans. And But I think it's very innovative that you put kind of a link to your email list right in the book. I've never done that, and I think that's actually very uh, a good idea. Yeah, and it has to be like, what's in it for me? You have to answer that question for the reader. What, that's why the, do that's I? The, what you give away. Yeah, you give away, and then you also do try to provide value. And and honestly, I think that's a first step in publishing, and it, it won't. There's almost no immediate benefit from that, but you can put a um, review link in your one of your emails. Say, hey, if you like the book, can you go leave a review? But the idea here is, every time you come out with a book, you're building that asset, and I really do believe email marketing is the biggest asset that's out there. And that's how you, when you launch a book, you have you know tens of thousands of people on your email list. You email them, say, hey, the book's ready, go buy it here. And if you time it correctly, and, and I would love that we could talk about the launch sequence because I think that's um, that's probably yeah, the biggest secret. So you launch the book, yeah. So you launch the book, and this is you know kind of on the idea that you have a platform, and uh, maybe after this I can talk about how to build a platform. But you launch a book, and what I've learned from Amazon, if you just flood Amazon with sales in one day, then you won't really get any traction. Amazon will see the ups and downs, and they're like, all right, that's a book that surged, but we're not really going to do anything. But if you continuously hit Amazon, then eventually Amazon will, will say to itself, all right, this is um, this is a book that people are buying, people seem to like it, so let's kind of do some promotion on our end. So they'll do email marketing campaigns, your book will go on the top 100 uh, new releases list, and if you, if you pick the right category, sometimes you'll have like the number one new release in that category. It'll be also on the customer also bought, so whenever you look at a book on Amazon, you see here's books that are similar to that, and if you do a good enough job during the launch, just Amazon will promote it everywhere. So what I've kind of learned, especially over the last couple of years, is once you launch a book, you really have to time this in a real specific sequence. So email list one day, and actually I've gotten to the point where I split my email into two or three different parts. So I'll email one part of my list on one day, another part of my list on a second day, another part of my list on a third day. Wow, I didn't realize that. Like I would always, I always thought, you know, when you launch on, let's say, February 1st, hit everything on February 1st nope. so it goes as high as possible on Amazon. It's, I guess you could get like what they call the vanity metric of RII, I achieved like the number 40 overall, but I don't, long term, I don't see the benefit versus just spraying it out. And I, I really do mean like it's a seven day, so it's like email lists. I'm, I'm almost emailing a different segment of my list for a different reason on every single day. And then you add in social media campaigns, so if you have Facebook group or uh, another following, you promote it there and also on my blog. And what I'm doing with uh, Habit Stacking 2.0, which 
tentatively, that's what I'm calling it, is I'm also reaching out to anyone that I know that I've like kind of built relationships over a couple of years and just making it as brain dead simple for them as possible to promote the book and just say, hey, I'll I'll owe you a big time for, for forever if you do this for me. And it's pretty much me begging a bunch of people that I know to promote the book on my behalf, but I'm also trying to make it like... And there are people who also have big platforms and... Yes, and it's, it's not necessarily just people with big platforms, but people that I feel... Uh, there's some relationships, so I'm not just emailing someone out of cold. It's people that that know me and like me and trust me, and I, I, to throw that in for the launch sequence, I try to, to I'll try to drip those those out as much as possible. So, as far as a launch, you you really want to hit as many different spots on different days as much as possible instead of just blasting it all in one day, because you really don't have any follow through with with after day one. If you have nothing to kind of back it up on day two, day three, day four, day five. Then Amazon will kind of see that and be like, "All right, this I guess no one really wants this book." So it, it's almost like you have to prove to Amazon it's worth promoting, and and not Amazon like people, but like uh, uh, the algorithm. The, the algorithm, but um, there are actually what I'm starting to realize is there are actual decision makers uh, behind Amazon. Not just, it's not just algorithm based. So uh, I think also what you and I have done well is we've also tried to build personal relationships with some people at Amazon as well, and I think just trying to help them out as much as possible. I think that that factors into that a little bit, but I, I can't really put a, um, a I can't quantify that. So so, but let's say I don't have a a, a platform uh, and I'm and I'm just starting. What should I What should I do? So this is where it gets a little bit difficult. So you, same thing as before. You want to um, release a book, and I would recommend launching a book for free at this point instead of trying to sell it. Just because if no one knows you, you're really not going to. Um, it'll just it, it won't be heard that the. the the book will get launched and then no one will see it. But if you give away for free and you have a good enough cover, good enough description, something that's really compelling, and you promote the free promotion, and with Amazon, if you give away a book for five days, um, sorry, they let you give away a book for five days, and that's just a way that if you get enough free downloads, eventually when it goes to paid, then you'll get a good amount of exposure. Well, why is that? Does the does your free ranking carry over to the paid ranking? Slightly. It used to be um, in 2010 and 11. It used to work like gangbusters, where as soon as it uh, went from free to paid, it it would just stick. Now you almost have to get within a top couple hundred overall with the free category for it to make any difference in the paid. Hmm. But um, I do find that that getting a lot of people to download your book and join your email list that that pays dividends down the road. Now, in addition to that, and this is where it gets difficult. It, w- w- when, when you're in the, sorry to keep interrupting, nope. but it's so so fascinating all the details of this, and people can actually achieve this. Like you've demonstrated it, Patrick King, many other. I've seen many others since since you've started, kind of follow your path. Like almost their books are, almost look like your books. Like I think <laughs> did Steve write that, and then I realized, oh no, someone else wrote it's, it. I've seen but you I know, know some them. similarities. Yeah. So so okay, when you launch a book for free, obviously many more people download it than the equivalent cat, uh, rank pay, is paying for it. So like number 1,000 in, in the overall Amazon store for free, what, how many downloads a month is that getting? Or, or sorry, in the five-day period? I'm going to be very honest. I have no idea because I haven't launched a book for free in uh, I would say almost three or four years now. Mm. My rough estimate is I, I would say you need in the neighborhood of at least ten to 20,000 downloads for it to really stick. And that's, that's a lot because that's a lot. <laughs> the, the equivalent sales will almost never happen. Yeah, there, there's almost no way that they equate each other. So it's more just about as getting as much exposure as possible. And then it it's, it is it is a tough slog, and that's why I said at the top of this interview that it, you have to be prepared for long-term success. So it's almost you launch a book, and then you go back to writing the second and third one, but also at the same time, I would highly recommend doing two additional things. So build some sort of platform. 
uh, where you can communicate with people. So a blog, a podcast, or a YouTube channel where people see you providing good free content. That doesn't mean that you have to create unique content. You could pretty much take the same principles from your book and put it into a YouTube video or a podcast, or you could do vice versa, where you could take your your content from these uh, platforms and put it into a book. So it's not like you're having to do a lot of extra work. But the idea here is you you want to just narrowly focus on one topic and just provide good free value to um, your audience. And that will pay dividends down the road. It, again, it's a tough slog, but if you continuously publish books and also build good content, then you will build that that, that one hundred true sorry that one thousand true fans that will eventually turn into people who buy and review your books. And then I would say one additional thing beyond that is to try just at least one social media platform. So it really is depends on your strength and where your audience is. So it could be Facebook, Twitter, uh, Pinterest, Instagram, um, Snapchat. And the reason I say just one is because I think people try to do too many things all at once and they just go nowhere. They just spin their wheels on all these different platforms. But for me, I, I stick to just a couple of things. And I try to do a couple of things well instead of trying to um, be on Twitter. Like I've, I haven't checked my Twitter feed in two years. I just don't really care anymore. And I, I think- And you do Facebook very well. I, I'm trying. I'm, I'm dedicating, and it really is like 30 minutes, that's it, 30 minutes a day to Facebook. I'm trying to get better at it, but if I'm on any platform, it's Facebook, just because it's also, I'm, I'm able to connect with a lot of my writing friends and online friends. It's more of a personal slash business, but I don't try to do other platforms. But I think, I think to add to what you just said, it's probably also very valuable to leverage someone else's platform. And then Facebook is, is pretty good for that. Definitely. So you have a group on Facebook, for instance, uh, your self-publishing group where everybody's on there interested in, in self-publishing and there's thousands of members of the group, I believe. So I could go on there and just basically be a helpful participant on every conversation that takes place. And gradually your entire group knows who I am if I do that enough. And I'm saying I, it could be anybody. Yeah, actually, um, what you just said is it w- would be the exact advice I would give to anyone who has nothing at all is to join, I would say just one or two groups. Don't don't try to join 20 groups. Find one or two groups, but make sure they're active groups where people are just continuously um, publishing content, uh, asking questions, that sort of thing. And just like you described, get in there and be that awesome person who sits and helps them as much as possible. Well, and a great example of this, by the way, um, is E.L. James, who initially self-published Fifty Shades of Grey. She was uh, active in all sorts of Twilight you know, fan fiction groups okay, on yeah. social media. And so that audience was her initial audience that bought Fifty Shades of Grey. She was totally self-published, sold quarter million copies, and then was picked up by a major publisher. Yeah, I knew I knew her book took off. I didn't realize that she was that active. I, I, that's a perfect example we just said. Yeah, she was writing Twilight fan fiction. That's how it all started. And then she <laughs> yeah, turned I, that into Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah, I've never read nor, nor seen the movies, but I know that like she kind of came out of nowhere and did the Twilight thing, and I guess... Um, she had to change the whole thing around because of uh, yeah. you know potential trademark stuff. But she's a great example of someone who just came out of nowhere and, and built a massive uh, following just from those couple of books. Do you think someone can use these techniques as a fiction writer? I mean, the, the problem a little bit is writing the 60 books. Yeah. Fiction seems like it would be harder to, to be that prolific, but maybe not. I don't know. Fiction, actually, I, I would say um, all the stuff I use in nonfiction, I just kind of took the principles of fiction and just morphed it into my own little thing with nonfiction. I would say with fiction, it's a longer, it takes longer to get going. But once you actually have those people who buy your books, I would say it's more sustainable than nonfiction. Because with nonfiction, there's a bunch of random book topics that um, often don't really blend well into each other. But if you write a 10-book series and you're, you do a good enough funnel with the first uh, book or two that gets people interested in your in your um, story, 
they'll go out and they'll buy 10 books. And I, I know I've done it myself. I bought 10 books by this one author because I'm like, oh, it's a good vampire story. And it's kept on reading. They're pretty consumable. They're a quick pace. And next day, no, I probably spent uh, 30, 40 bucks with this, this one book line. And I'm sure there's lots of uh, other stories like that where fiction writers get someone in their funnel and they just go out and buy their entire catalog. So, Well, well it's interesting because let's say, let's go back to the 1,000 True Fans. So that's that's come up quite a bit in my podcast. And Kevin Kelly, who, who wrote that post, has been on my podcast uh, twice. But the, the the idea behind his article, and it's, it's one of his most well-known articles, it's a great article, is that if anybody essentially has a thousand true fans, they can make a living. And he sort of loosely defines what a true fan is and what making a living means. But you kind of just gave an example right there. If you if there's an, a, a vampire author, you might end up spending $40 on that guy. So if a thousand people, or let's say 2,000 people, um, buy his books or he keeps on writing books, he's going to keep on generating, you know, you know, 40 bucks from all these fans or, and, and, and basically from every new book, these people are going to buy it, you know, no matter where he prices it. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that's a perfect example that um, if you have a good enough fiction book, you don't really need a lot of people to buy your book, just a, a number of loyal thing, of loyal followers. With some, you can probably price a good fiction book higher. Definitely. So like, I'm, if I'm in part two of a series that I love, uh, I'm willing to spend eight ninety five for the Kindle instead of two ninety five for a nonfiction book that I may or may not spend more for. Exactly, and, it, and I think from what I've seen, a lot of the fiction writers they do do that, where it's it's four ninety nine is five ninety nine. Uh, they'll bundle their books together, so maybe they'll put four books together, and that'll be priced at nine ninety nine. So they they do a lot of good kind of compilations and different ways to um, make sure that their audience is being best served by the best possible price, but also getting their audience to buy as many books as possible. It's so funny because I was I always look at ran- and click on random categories to see what's selling. And I was looking at, um, I, I went down really granular in some romance category. Oh boy. And it was number 900 overall in the whole Amazon store, which has, you know, 6 million titles. It was like number 9 and 10. And, uh, uh, but it was only number one twenty in like women's literature. <laughs> so, oh, it's, well, it's like the entire t- uh, oh, you know top one thousand books. It's like a lot of it is fiction geared towards you know women's literature and and romance and so on. Yeah, I was um, fortunate enough to meet a couple of uh, women's romance writers slash erotica, and they describe their business model. It's insanely profitable, but it's um, they describe it almost as insatiable. Their audience just needs needs to read those books, and if they're not writing a book every month or two it's what what have you done for me lately so they have to almost kind of keep on feeding the beast and getting out those books as quick as possible will they drop off if if they will drop off they'll lose their their audience so it's 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 a great market but it's also very insatiable and i i couldn't picture writing you know 20 different versions of the billionaire's virgin or or whatever that the book i saw the other day so it's a great market but I don't know if I could stomach that kind of pressure. Well, well, it gets back to your three Ps. You have to have passion for what you're mm-hmm. writing. So you like the habits, nonfiction category, and you're doing very well with it. Um, so, okay, so now we launched free for five days, and we use that to kind of build our email list. Now we're 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 launching into Kindle. How, like again, in your, I think your decluttering book is ranked number two ten overall on Amazon. Uh, just how do you cons- consistently keep these books high up on the Amazon ranks? It must mean it's selling well. Um, there's a couple of things I do. So since we last talked, it, it, there was almost the launch your book and then hope for a BookBub um, promotion. And BookBub is pretty much the largest um, book advertising platform that's out there. 
and they have what they call feature deals. So they've, they've done a, a beautiful job of aggregating, I think it's like 40 or 50 different email lists. So if you want to learn about erotica, then you just join that erotica list and you just get price discounts on pretty much a book every single day. Uh, so if you can get a featured deal on BookBub, it's a pretty impressive thing. You can sell thousands upon thousands of copies. That was the only real major book advertising platform that was back in 2014. Now we're in 2017, and there's a lot of great uh, book platforms out there. So there's Amazon Ads, and Amazon Ads, I, I, I now love it because it's just you could just micro-target the heck out of a book. So so, so what do you do? Like, how, how do you do it? So I, I've seen the Amazon Ad, you know, m- make your ad. Thing. What, mm-hmm. what happens? You click on that. Yeah, so it's uh, there are a couple different options. I like the sponsored, I think they call it sponsored products. I know it begins with sponsor. I forget what the second word is, but it's basically you target a keyword or a specific book title or an author. So if I want, which I hate to admit it, I've targeted James Altucher. So I'm like, all right, I, I'm pretty sure. Congratulations. Uh, some, some I hope James they did books. well for you. <laughs> it has actually. Your, your books have converted really well. So yeah. if I wanted to make sure that my book showed up on Reinvent Yourself, I'll target Reinvent Yourself. And it's a cost per click. So if you're willing to pay 50 cents per click, um, someone will see it right at the top, uh, right below the customers also bought. There's another line of books that pretty much just say sponsor posts. And you're just you're basically bidding on a keyword level uh, cost per click. And the, the really ah, so those so that's so there's there's the first there's the first line which says people who buy reinvent yourself buy choose yourself. Then there's the next line people who buy this product or reviewed this product uh, also viewed these products. Exactly. Then there's the sponsored line which is right below that or or above it I forget and and it's more in italics and it's like uh, people who are sponsored products related to exactly. this product. Sponsored products. So I, I actually often see Patrick King's book uh, or or books in on my books on in uh, on, in that line over there. So so you pay for that. And let's say you're paying fifty cents per click, or you bid, or whatever. Yeah, so you could. Um, I find that for me, it makes more sense to just go ten per ten cents per click, which puts me on page two or page three. So I'm not getting enough impressions. But when people do see the book and they do click over my what they call ACOS, the average cost of sale is pretty good. So you want to get as a low percentage as possible. So I'm in the twenty to thirty percent ACOS, which is pretty good. That means that for every twenty percent, so every like. One dollar I spend, I'll get about five dollars back, and that's that's gross, not net. And I know that uh, Amazon takes about thirty uh, percent of that, so I try to keep in the twenty to thirty range because I know that once everyone gets a little bit of their their cut, I'll def that's the the baseline. I know I'll I'll make my money back. So let's say you figure out the optimal level where you're breaking even. Would you just ramp that up as much as possible? It's hard if you're going a low cost per click. So if you're just going ten cents, fifteen cents per click, you're just not gonna get the impressions. If you could somehow convert fifty cents a click, then yes, absolutely. All day long, I would spend I would spend a thousand dollars just to make a thousand one hundred dollars. It's just it's hard unless you have a book that sells for uh, nine ninety nine. It's really hard to make your money back if you're spending fifty cents per click, especially on Amazon. So, so you basically use that to kind of again um, keep your Amazon rank low. Even if it's costing you a little money, but then keeping your Amazon rank low puts you number one in all these categories, which gives increases your visibility, which increases other people seeing your book. Exactly, and I, I know that um, with, with also the new thing that that's come on the scene in the last couple of years uh, that we haven't really talked about is called Pages Red. It's part of the Kindle Unlimited program, and that's just their kind of Netflix model where you pay ten bucks and um, authors are compensated on a per pages read. I think it's like half a cent per page, so it's not a lot, especially for nonfiction. But again, it's it's almost trying to introduce someone to your books and, and start to build those one thousand true fans. And I don't, 
I'm kind of on the fence about Kindle Unlimited. I I have my um my in my head my pros against it and uh, my pros for it and my cons against it. But overall, I, I like the program. Um, but for the most part, Amazon ads really can help. And um, there's a couple other platforms that people use as well. But like I, what? I, uh, there's BookBub uh, partner program. So we talked about BookBub before, where that's the the feature deal. Uh, they actually just rolled out a program where you could. Um, I forget what they call it. It's a cost per thousand type of program. So you you basically pay book BookBub on a per impression basis. So you'll say, all right, I will pay you seven dollars per thousand impressions, and these are the impressions that actually go in their targeted emails that go out. So uh, let's just say I'm trying to target James Altucher readers. I would just say, all right, I want to target the reader of James Altucher books and show this particular banner. And they've done such a good job figuring out their audience and what their audience likes then they'll just show it to that particular audience. And you could actually break it down uh, with ads that uh, I'll have 10 ads and each one of those ads targets a different um, author. And I can kind of figure out, all right, here, here's one where I don't really pay too much on a per impression basis and I still make my money back. And it, this is a little bit um, data-driven, but I, I run everything through the Google Associates, pro- sorry, the Amazon Associates program, which is uh, the kind of affiliate network we mentioned before. But what you can do there is you could uh, create a specific kind of um, affiliate ID. So the point is you could create affiliate ID for your book and you know which ones are actually converting. You can just do the math and know, all right, this this campaign's profitable and this campaign's not profitable. It's it's a lot more intensive than Amazon ads, but that's just kind of another way that I'm, I'm promoting but my But this books. is important. This is what every marketer does, and you kind of have to be uh, a marketer now yes. if you're in the self-publishing business you're you're essentially your own publishing company but you're all you're not only the writing department you're also the marketing department so this this kind of stuff is very important and i think a lot of uh traditional book publishing marketing departments don't know this information and so they're getting blown away by self-published books i mean self-published books are selling more than traditionally published books i think they're starting to catch on i i've noticed that some of some i've seen a lot of um traditionally published books that st- are starting to use some of the same techniques but it's almost, it's almost an area where you have to be kind of scrappy. You have to be willing to sit there and do the grunt work and learn about marketing, test maybe ten things, and one or two will stick. And that's kind of that's what I personally enjoy about the um, this business. Is I do like writing, but sometimes I actually enjoy more the marketing side of this because it's data driven. I can kind of channel my inner geek and figure all this stuff out. And for me, it's like the money. I'm happy with how much money I make now. It's more of a kind of keeping score. It's it's. I used to love video games, and now I just keep, kind of keep score with my business. Well, it's definitely obsessive. Like any any writer will tell you, it's definitely obsessive seeing where all your Amazon rank is. And if you've written like sixty eight books, probably you're just all the time reloading yeah. your different Amazon pages to see where the ranks are. But again, like with the the declutter book and the fact that it's ranked so low, like number two ten or maybe one number one fifty, wherever I've seen it bounce around in the past week. Um, it's amazing to, you know, there's 6 million books in the Amazon store. So it's amazing that you're staying consistently in the top several hundred all the time with with at least one or two of your books. And so is this coming from mostly um, kind of a, this interplay between ads and uh, being seen? Or, you know, what, what else, what other tricks do you do? I would say um, it actually goes from the beginning. It's the good choice in title, it's a good choice in cover, and it's a good choice in description. That really, if you get that right, your job will be way easier. So people do judge a book by the cover? Absolutely, 100%. Um, that's definitely. How, how do you test a cover? Uh, one of the ways I, use, I test a cover, it's actually two ways. So I have my Facebook groups I mentioned before, and just a, as a gut-level check, I will often just create a quick poll. All right, what do you think of these three titles? What do you think of these three covers? 
And I'll have people vote on it, but I'm more looking at what the comments are about it. So if, if someone's like, oh, that, that's, that's, uh, that's a weird uh, idea, or I really just don't resonate with that particular word choice. So it's more just trying to get a, just a, a gut-level feeling for th- those choices at that point. And then I try to narrow it down to two titles and two covers, and I use a website called PickFu. That's uh, P-I-C-K-F-U.com. And what that does is that just runs a, a poll to 100 random anonymous people. So they have no skin in the game, and they are, uh, to put it lightly, they are brutally honest about what they like or don't like about your cover and your your um, title. So they'll just they'll rip you apart. But I'm kind of looking for that my butt getting ripped apart because I know that it's just it's going to make the presentation much stronger. And uh, sometimes you just get it right from out of the gate. The actual um, the decluttering book it's uh, declutter your mind. I actually want to give a, a full credit. That was actually uh, mostly written by my writing partner Barry Davenport, and her and I have uh, teamed on a bunch of things lately. Um, and she actually just said, all right, this is the title of the book, um, and this is kind of what we're talking about. And I kind of shrugged my shoulder and said, okay, and that, that book turned out turned out great. And we didn't really test it at all, and it just it's just one book that just kind of stuck, and I was just, that was her gut-level check, and I didn't, I just kind of trust, trust in her opinion. Her gut-level check on the topic or on the cover, on the... All of it. Um, on the title? I, on the title, the topic, and just the overall scope of the book, and I kind of, she, she wrote a good amount of it, and I just edited it and just... Um, made sure it kind of followed the flow that I like, and I just kind of picked up the marketing from there. So it was a, it was a good team effort. And what, what additional thing did you do on the marketing for that one? Pretty much everything I talked about, um, just a good proper launch. And then since the book was launched, I tried to support it by trying to um, get as many reviews as possible. So I'm continuously, whenever I get an email, I say, all right, if you like the book, would you mind leaving a review? So it's it's almost that day to day grind of trying to get reviews on a book as um, as much as possible. Okay, so so Amazon doesn't like it if you directly ask someone for a review. How do you kind of? Um, the the way I interpret that that this is the way this is just my humble opinion. It's as long as you're not offering incentives. So it's not like if you say, "All right, go leave a review in this book, and I'll give you a free copy of something else." So it's not incentivized based. It's someone who's already emailed me, expressed interest. In reading, they they'd already said that they liked the book. They they found got value from it. I just give them a link and say, "Hey, would you mind just leaving a review here?" So, that's, in my opinion, if as long as you're not just going out and joining these these secret review groups where uh, twenty people review your books and you review twenty other people's, where it's just basically one just massive review exchange, that's that's where I think Amazon really mm-hmm. frowns upon that stuff. But for the most part, my first I would say twenty thirty reviews, it's just all audience driven. It's all. People that are on my email list or my Facebook group, I just say, hey, the book's out. Would you mind leaving a review? And I just, I ask them, but I don't sit there and like track every single book that I gave out for free and make sure every one of them's leaving a review because I think that's where you start getting in trouble is if, and the, the and, expectation, I guess. And the Amazon algorithm definitely weights books based on the speed by which reviews are coming in. And I guess five-star reviews. Definitely. And Do I, one-star reviews hurt the book? It really depends on the book. I've seen book sales completely tank overnight from uh, just a really well uh, skate, well crafted scathing uh, one star review. But then I've also seen books that get a bunch of one star reviews, and it doesn't seem to affect the sale. So I would say it's not necessarily the one star review; it's the level of how much they rip you a new one, and and how many other people say, "Hey, this is a great review," and then suddenly the top rated review on your book is a one star review that does a good job of ripping the shreds. That's that's when you probably start to run in trouble, and that. To be perfectly honest, that's what happened with habit stacking. I didn't do a good enough job writing it, and the top couple of reviews on on the book 
honestly, they did they do a good job ripping apart because I didn't I didn't do my job as an author to make it as good as possible. But I don't know though, Steve, because habit stacking was number one in like the entrepreneurship category forever. <laughs> like I was, I had all of my books banging up against the wall, and you were like consistently number one. And uh, you you know. I don't care what the reviews were. Like you were, you. I saw the results. You were, you were there for a long period of time. That was the number one book. Yeah, I, I think. Um, and I, and I, again, you're the number one author in the entire business category. I've, uh, I guess, I have high expectations because the reason I'm actually rewriting the book is I want to make sure the book is as good as possible. So in my head, that I've done a pretty good job with the writing, but I don't think I, I've done an honest. All right, this is the best possible book I can write. So. I feel in 2017, I write the best possible books and combine it with the best possible marketing, then I will have a thriving business that will stand the test of time. Right now, I just feel that my business is too cyclical. It's too up and down. Um, Why do you think that? Like if you put out, let's say you just kept with the schedule and you kept putting out a book every couple, every two months, say. So you put out six books a year. Well, the perfectly honest answer is I kind of took 2016 off. I uh, got married, had a kid. Um, I don't think I really worked more than a couple hours in certain months, so I just did nothing, and that was just that's just pure laziness on my part. So, 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 let me ask you then: Did 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 twenty sixteen start off strong because you were still riding off the uh, earnings from prior books? It, it, yeah, it was definitely um, kind of a a peak, a major valley, and a, another peak towards the end because um, I, I think it was August twentieth uh, that I partnered with Barry when we released the Declare Your Mind, and that book really took off over the last couple of months, and in the beginning of two thousand sixteen, did pretty well from just. A couple of previous books, but I was in the middle part of the year. I was big enough to get by, but it wasn't it wasn't um, the massive success I, I saw in 2014 so, and, and now. So you pretty much have to stick with that writing a book every what would you say two months or what do you, what do you have to do? I would say two to three months. But what I'm trying to test now is to put more effort into each book and make them almost a small business. So that's why. I have gone out and built a website for, or it's not really a website, it's part of teachable.com where just instead of one lead magnet, I now have about 10 to 15 different pieces of content laced throughout the book and all of it's just one big value dump at the end. That, hey, join this membership area where we have all these little extras to help you take action on what you just learned. They join the website. They, they Obviously, they I get the email address and then from there, the email sequence tries to add value but also gets people to leave a review and also I'll occasionally promote an affiliate product. So it's, in my, th- this is all theory because I only just released a book a couple weeks ago, and I'm just starting to see a little bit of that, a little bit of the results. But my theory is, if you actually can build a little mini funnel out of each book, that'll be a more sustainable business over the lifetime instead of just relying on the launch and write, launch and write strategy, which I've been kind of following for a couple of years. Or, or at the very least, uh, again, providing what you call these lead magnets or giveaways in, let's say, the front and the back, and you have to sign up for your email list. At the very least. That email list can be used to market, you know, your next book and so exactly. on. And it's it, your email list will continue to g- increase. So per, per for each book, so as you write more and more books, your e- and give away more content, your email list will get bigger. And again, at the very least, you could just market the next book with the email list. Yeah, at the bare minimum, uh, you could use an email list to get reviews. And that's actually one error I made before is in none of my email sequence that I have go leave a review for this book. It's more like, hey, if you don't mind, go leave a review on one of my books. It was really kind of um, open-ended. But now they're on a specific list for a specific book they read. They got specifically tailored content to that book. And within that, just a a simple review request. So I I feel that's going to lead to more reviews down the road, which is 
as you and I both know, that's one of the, 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 the most important aspects of publishing is you got to have as many reviews on your book, or at least a good percentage of review, reviews. Well, I, I, one, one publisher of a major publishing company, so the CEO of a major publishing company, once told me that if a book has 1,300 reviews, it's, it's, it, it, it's going to last forever. It's like it's basically going to be a classic of some sort, and it's going to keep on going. Do you think that's think that's true? Oh, absolutely. I, I think the best example is the book that's, I think, number one overall right now in business is uh, The One Thing by Gary Keller. That book, I don't know if how many, I'm pretty sure it has at least 1,900 reviews. I have to fact check that, but I know it has at least 1,000 reviews, and that book has just been selling like gangbusters over the last year. And not only is it because it's a good book, but I think just, it does have that review threshold that people look at it, don't really bother with the one star. They said, all right, well, 13, 1,900 people have, have left a review. This must be a good book. Right, right. I, I only have, so my book, Choose Yourself, has, I'll tell you the exact number because I always check it, it has 1,769 reviews. And that yeah. seems to be perpetual. I'm hoping it's perpetual. And you've also built a whole brand around the, the idea of Choose Yourself, so I think that definitely helps. But yeah, that, yeah. that, that, that one's a monster as well. You can tell that they're, that people just buy it just for the simple fact there's a ton of reviews on it. So so there's basically uh, three different skills in terms of, or four different skills in terms of building the, let's call it the business you've built up. So you could essentially write these books from home and make a living. There's sort of the idea of picking a topic, a book category, uh, writing, the, doing the research, and, and writing the book, and writing a good book. So that's that's one skill to develop. The next skill is kind of all the technical stuff that ranges from um, getting a cover designed, uh, getting it formatted properly for Kindle, editing it, uploading it, and so on. So that's kind of um, uh, management. Y- yeah, that's the, and that that could be outsourced a little bit. Uh, and then there's the third skill, which is uh, advertising and marketing, knowing all the different kind of advertising venue, you know, avenues, and that will change probably year by year. But there's probably uh, plenty of websites to catch up on that. I'm sure, or your or your Facebook's uh, uh, group, uh, Authority Self Publishing, is one place where people could check up on that. And then the fourth skill is kind of building this email list or platform from within your books to help market later books. Yeah, definitely. I would add, uh, I guess, two things. One of them would be kind of in the management side is delegation. Uh, you get to a point where you don't necessarily have to do all this stuff yourself. And I have a, a virtual assistant who I've trained. She actually runs a lot of my bookmarking campaigns. She kind of knows what she's doing. I've already taught her. She, I've kind of given her free reign to go make a bunch of mistakes. And I'm not going to get mad at her just because I know that she's trying different things. And she does a, a great job with that. Well, where did you find her? Uh, virtualstafffinder.com. That's uh, Chris Ducker's website. Um, it's a, a VA service out of based out of the Philippines. But um, yeah, she's been part of my team now for... I don't. I want to say three years now. So she's wow. she's been great to work with, and she's she's full time. Um, she's pretty much part of my. I don't say part of my family, but she's like she's definitely a valuable part of uh, what I do online. And I would say kind of the fifth element to this is self education. I'm a really firm believer that don't just assume what worked yesterday will work tomorrow. Like I try to have the practice where I read or do something to learn every single day, at least thirty minutes. And you should just what's an example. Let's see, on the train, I read an article about uh, the different ways to get white hat backlinks to your website. So I'm trying, I'm trying to learn how to build up my blog to the point where that could be kind of its own self-sustaining business in case something happens with my books. I, I kind of want to have like a, a contingency plan. So I'm trying to learn about how to build a, not necessarily a blog platform where it's writing myself, but more of a, 
like a content website that that I can manage without having to sit there and write every single day. So that's kind of one of my little side projects right now. But that's one example. Um, I know um, Derek Murphy. He just wrote a book about uh, guerrilla book publishing. That was uh, he's someone I respect. He's a fiction writer and a nonfiction writer, and he he wrote a pretty extensive book on book publish uh, book marketing. And odds are I probably will know ninety percent of it, but I know that there'll probably be that ten percent that I haven't thought of. Um, that I would like to add to my my uh, kind of my marketing engine. So that's something I'll be reading on the train ride home. So I guess mm. the point here is you have to like kind of commit yourself to thirty minutes of just learning something every single day. So so on on that note, um, well, a first, thanks for coming on the podcast. You came oh, my on pleasure. two and a half years ago because I saw you kind of blast out of nowhere and have all these bestsellers then, and it's still happening now, and you're still doing incredibly well. So congratulations on that, and getting married, and having a kid since I last saw you, and um, and all these things, but uh, uh, also Habit Stacking 2.0, when's that coming out? Uh, that is coming out in early March. Can I give a URL? Yeah. Go to habitstackingbook.com. You know, I also just totally forgot. I wrote the forward of a book you wrote. Uh, I forgot. <laughs> you wrote with Hal Elrod and you totally Andre, forgot about that. Yeah. The, the Miracle Morning for Writers, which is like Habits in the Morning for Writers, and I wrote the forward of that book. Yeah, oh, again, thank did you for that. Did that book do well? Uh, yeah, that, 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 that book uh, by did way, pretty I didn't well. Get, I, I, just so you know, I mean, just so the uh, listeners know, I didn't get compensated or anything. I was more than happy to help you and Hal and, and Honoré and so on. Well, thank you. No, um, that was a, a fun experiment. I did it with uh, Hal Elrod. He's the author of The Miracle Morning. Um, I don't necessarily still follow every single thing for the Miracle Morning, kind of my own routine, but I would say I follow a good 50% of it with a bunch of different add-ons, my habit stack. Um, but yeah, that was, that was a really interesting experience because it was like the first time I had a project manager, which was Honoré, and she was great to work with. Uh, she kind of kicked my butt a little bit in a good way. And they actually had, uh, it was kind of nice, I just wrote the book and I didn't really have to do anything afterwards besides uh, once the book was ready to launch, then I kind of did the stuff that I normally do with, with the book launch. But it was an interesting perspective on working with someone else who has their own kind of marketing engine in place and see see how that did. And I know the book's selling fairly well. I think it's like number 21,000 overall. Um, it's at 999 and that's usually not really my my sweet spot for a price point. So it's just it's cool kind of latching onto a different platform and seeing seeing what they do behind the scenes. And there there's a lot of stuff that I learned from them that I'm now instituting into my uh, kind of um, marketing uh, playbook. So, so what are um, so so again, Steve? Thanks for coming on the podcast, and uh, I definitely hope to have you on again in another two years to yeah. uh, uh, see what's the latest thing that's happening in self-publishing. And I really think this is this is a, a a valuable topic for people. Like often, I would say these podcasts are not so are not a hundred percent as actionable as this one is. But I really do think people should should try the methods you've kind of outlined here and check out your website. Uh, uh, what, what's what's the URL for for your website in general? Um, I have two of them. There's the developgoodhabits.com. That's kind of the it's in line with the books. Mm-hmm. And there's also authority.pub. And if you want to learn about self publishing, that has probably the best content that we have about self publishing. We have a podcast, but I think we're going to put that on hiatus for a while, just so I can focus on the books. Podcasts um, are a lot of work. Insane amount of work. It's it's more work than I ever imagined. Um, I enjoyed it, but it was also it was very just time conflicting trying to schedule interviews and then talk to people, like what you go through on a regular basis. Yeah. It's very hard work. Um, so, but I would say even just going to authority.pub, there's still a lot of good content that'll show you all the basics. So you can you can get all the basics that get you up and running on that website. So that might be a good starting point for people listening. Well, thanks a lot, Steve Scott, the number one business author in the world. Uh, thanks for coming <laughs> on the podcast. All right, thanks. Oh, it's been a blast.
So that was great. I think this is so valuable to people. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.